0: Happy January 31st, 2020. Jason, where did January go, man? It it, just—we just had our New Year's show, and the whole month is gone. The Whole month is gone.
1: Every year, it just feels like time is going faster Uh, and faster. It's just not slowing down. I I know it's
0: just crazy. (laughs) Well, gang, today we have a show that I'm just calling uh, "Angels and Monsters." Angels and Monsters is the name of the show today, uh, and I'll 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 explain to you why. So, we've got some incredible guests coming on the show. We are going to start out with uh, John Guile, and he is definitely one of the angels. Uh, You know longtime executive director of Project Angel Food. I think John has raised tens of millions of dollars over his lifetime for LGBT causes. Causes Everything from HIV and AIDS to LGBT equality to addiction recovery. I mean, he is just one of those angels. So we'll be talking to him about what motivates him to do what he does. And then he's being followed by the publisher of Adelante Magazine, Al Ballesteros, will be coming in. Al, uh, you know, started out as a young Latino activist. Al there in the streets. Now he is the chief executive officer of a healthcare organization here in Los Angeles, but he's also the publisher of uh, Adelante, reaching out hard to reach Latino, Latina, Latinx communities. Uh, And uh, we'll be talking to him about uh, what moves him. And then the monsters part, well, we've got a great little group coming on, Conversion Therapy Dropouts is their tongue-in-cheek name. They represent the people who dropped out of conversion therapy. But they're not the monsters. The monsters are the people who put them into conversion therapy or tried to torture them in conversion therapy. Uh, and they'll be coming on talking about you know their experiences and why they chose to drop out. Can you imagine, Jason, if we sent you to conversion therapy, try to convert you into becoming a homosexual? I was going to say,
1: what am I being converted into? <laughs> yeah, exactly? <laughs>
0: exactly. Tell me how that well that would go. I mean, it just wouldn't. It wouldn't. be a non-starter. It's the same. It's a non-starter for LGBT people. Yeah. So that's our lineup. You're going to have a great conversation here. So let's warm up for our very first guest, and that is the extraordinary John (laughs) Guile. John, I picked that song for you. That's Madonna. I thought I'd do something age appropriate for you. I so, love it. I yeah. I hey, couldn't do anything new from the Grammys. We picked something from the 80s for you. So, <laughs> welcome John. Glad to have you here. Thank
2: you. Thank so, you. So, I great know to you're a here.
0: local Whittier boy, right? You were born and raised here born in Southern California. Born and raised California. in Whittier. Oh, and that's that's like Richard Nixon era- area, right? It
2: uh, is. Yes. Some people know that. Well, what I mean, know what
0: motivated you to even get involved with community?
2: Uh, you know what I think it was just my mother's upbringing uh, we were raised Catholic and I remember she used to she used to talk to me a lot about um being grateful and we have everything we need and in very early age was taught to uh you know, help the poor and to strive to do better for others.
0: Well, well, that's more along the lines of Pope Francis rather than the Pope right before him. <laughs> the that's, pope right. Right before that's right. That's right. Was a little hardcore. Yeah, yeah. So, when did you first start? High school days, college days? When did you first start to like get into service? I think um, definitely was involved on the college
2: campus, and then uh, the first job really out of college, helping others, was with the Muscular Dystrophy Association right near here and on Wilshire Boulevard was my office, and mm. learned a lot about fundraising there. And then when the AIDS crisis Erupted in the '80s. I, you know, I was drawn to that, and I can still remember being um, being there on Kings Road in West Hollywood and reading about the organization called Project Angel Food. In fact, I can remember that right now. Reading mm-hmm. back then, you would actually look into you would frontiers, look the, or well, no, you look in the news. LA Times and, oh. and and the job oh. like jobs. Right in and, the ads. It, and it said executive director of Project Angel Food in the wow. in the back pages of the LA Times.
0: Now, Project Angel Foods was created by David Kessler and who was a guest on our show here, and Marianne Williamson, who was running for president. That's right. And they created this organization to give hot meals to people who were terminally ill with AIDS at the time. Right. And and you saw it, and you applied, it and you then took it from one level, I think, to a quantum leap to something very different.
2: It was a. Um, it's a. It's a. It to think back on those days are are, are really amazing. The church was at the corner of Fountain and Fairfax, and what I realized very early on uh, were that all of the pieces of this puzzle were there in the organization already, and my job was to put the pieces together and to turn it into an organization that could even do more and help more people. And subsequently, you know, it's become not only – it was born and raised in the gay community and through the work of the lesbians and the gay people that helped Thousands and thousands of people with AIDS. It now serves all of Los Angeles County, people with cancer, Alzheimer's, uh, diabetes. It's remarkable what a gift the LGBTQ community
0: could give to the whole county. How many meals do they serve now? Do you know? Over 1,500 people a day get food. 1,500 people Isn't a day? That is amazing. Amazing. Right? Wow. And I'm guessing when you got started, it was just a handful of people in the kitchen. Uh, That's right. Cooking up meals to deliver yep. to a handful of guys out there. We had, we had, I think
2: we had a staff of 13, and I believe now there's a staff of 70 people and the incredible executive director, Richard Ayoub, and a great team there.
0: Yeah, but you were the executive director for how long?
2: 16 years. Time. 16 years. Yes, and I'm still there. I'm the official Project Angel Food ambassador. <laughs> I like
0: that title. <laughs> when you started, what was the budget? And when you left, what was the budget?
2: I think it's, uh, it was probably around 900000 when I started. And when I left, it was around $7 million.
0: Yeah, that's a quantum leap. It was that's a big... A it was, quantum it was, leap. A yeah. quantum leap. Coming up next, gang, we'll be talking more with John Guile about his journey and path. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q
5: That's Beyonce
0: singing "Halo," and we got a angel songs running here because we're talking to one of the angels, John Guile. Welcome back, John. So, Thank you. All right. So, Project Angel Food—you you were there for a bit, and, but then you—you you kind of bri- branched out and started doing all sorts of other LGBT causes, right?
2: I did. I um, started uh, a consulting firm, and I think one of the very first calls was from the Prop 8 campaign, and you and a team of people, and. Uh, I joined um, to help raise funds to protect gay marriage and uh, Equality California. And then uh, ever since then, that was 12 years ago, I, the phone rings and I go where I'm needed. I've been very, very fortunate. And, and the remarkable part is really um, people say, how do you raise so much money? And it's really about getting out and telling the story. And, you know, so many amazing organizations, women and men, that are changing the world. And I, I, it gives me a lot of strength and gratitude to be part of the LGBT community, just meeting people and seeing the, yeah. what people are doing. I like being around doers, right? right people yeah. that are doing, and, and there there are remarkable projects happening from coast to coast in so, our community. I know
0: you're really humble, but there's a moment not to be humble. How, how much money have you raised, do you I, think, I, think, for LGBT causes? I
2: haven't added it up, but it's a lot, and definitely more than 10 million, maybe
0: more. So uh, More than 10 million,
2: Yeah. Yeah, and there's some big things, you know, some really great things happening this year. Yeah, well, and I know you're doing the
0: AIDS Monument in West Hollywood. That's $5 million all by
2: itself. That's right. That's right. And that was a whole team effort. We we have uh, – you're the founder and, and a group of people, and I was called to help volunteer. And then um, we, we're closing in on $5 million for the AIDS Monument, which will remember the thousands and thousands of people that have died and educate millions more in the coming years. That's an exciting campaign. And, um you know, I get passionate about things. The funny story there uh, is I ran into someone in a restaurant that I hadn't seen in 10 years who hardly knew me. I said, I've got to tell him about the monument and ask him for money. And I, the minute he stood up from his chair, I walked over and said, I need your help with the monument. And he said, I knew when he looked me in the eye and he said, I'm going to help you. <laughs> and he sent $100,000. Wow. And I won't say who it is. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and, and so it's getting out and telling the story. I don't really – take on projects that I'm not passionate about because I have to feel it in my heart to be effective.
0: Hmm. I know that there's LGBT activists listening in 28 cities right now, and the reality is a lot of them are involved with one organization or one cause or another, and I think the hardest thing for any activist is asking people for money. What what advice do you give to people when they say, oh, my God, I I, I don't know how to fundraise. I don't know how to ask for money. We need to meet our goal. John, help us. What do we do?
2: So the one thing is to inspire people with a connection to yourself, to why this is important to you personally. And then on the business side of it, put yourself in a position of, Say you had a really great stock tip. You knew that a stock was going to appreciate in value. You would be so excited to tell people you should invest in this, right? You should make an investment in this because it's going to turn out really great for you. And it is the same feeling that when you're talking to someone about investing in the AIDS Monument or Project Angel Food or One Archives or, you know, Outfest, that your people that invest there are going to get a great return on their investment in feeling good, doing good, and just being a, a better member of society.
0: Yeah. That's a good, that's actually good advice, yeah. get people excited. You got very passionate about Pete Buttigieg. I think he's your guy, right? You're, you're, you're.
2: So, yes, I, I was so distraught after the um, 2016 election, and I had been all across the country for the Democratic nominee then, Hillary Clinton, and I was taking time off from any campaigning on the presidential level, because presidential politics is a very tough business. Mm. And uh, I got a call from Pete Buttigieg's office, and uh, they said, well, can you meet? And this was back in February or March. And I said, you know, I'm not really going to jump in and do anything, but I'm happy to meet. And uh, right when I met him, I was deeply inspired. Hmm. I, had you heard of him before? I mayor had heard of a South little man, bit about Indiana. him And I knew he was friends of our mayor, Eric Garcetti. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't paid a lot of attention to it, honestly. And, uh Right when I met him, I was moved by what I could tell in his soul, his commitment, and his intelligence. And so I signed on. And one of the first things I did was to post. I'm a a very active user of social media. And I posted something about come meet Mayor Buttigieg, and the response was remarkable. People that I have never seen involved in politics before. Cousins I hadn't heard from in years. Republicans. Republicans. people of faith, all sending in contributions and asking, can I please meet him? And it was remarkable. And hundreds and hundreds of people in the first few months that I joined. So I realized we were on to something, and then I I spent a lot of time with Mayor Buttigieg and his team. And I've just been motivated and excited, and I think over 30 or 40 events, and I'm going to head to New Hampshire in a week or so and campaign there, and we'll see how it goes. I'm very, very excited and optimistic.
0: Yeah, I have to ask you, let get little queer Boy and Whittier, <laughs> that came out in the 70s and then walked through an epidemic in the 80s and the 90s, did you think in your lifetime you'd be out campaigning for a viable, openly gay person running for president of the United States?
2: Never. Never in a million years. I did not think it was possible. I spent, <clears throat> like many people, you know, well into my mid-20s figuring out how I was going to be ungay. Mm. It's so sad, and it was—you um, know—it's—it's it's psychologically traumatic to spend the first formidable twenty years of your life figuring out how you can not be who you really are. It's mm. horrible. So, yeah. that I think is also the expression of why I'm so involved in, in the community. Is to—it is home. It really is home. Mm. What we have with our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community.
0: Mm. You do work, I think, uh, you for. Th- choruses of San Francisco, the chorus of Los Angeles. Uh, I think you also do work for recovery uh, out in the community. Those are other examples of what you do.
2: Absolutely. Well, I am a long-term sober, and that's the top priority in my life. Certainly, if I don't have that, none of the other pieces come together. So, I'm excited about helping, um, you know, Friendly House for Women on Normandy, which is the oldest LGBTQ, uh, the oldest recovery home for women. It's not LGBTQ specific, but LGBTQ accepting. And then I'm helping Awakening Recovery with their plans to expand their home for the pro- programs for men and women. And you know, uh, it's remarkable that the strength of our recovery community across the country as well. I, I'm sorry. I just think
0: you're incredible. I'm oh, just gonna you, I was going to say that. You know I adore <laughs> been, you, but I I'm, you're I'm listening to you talk about you're raising money for women in recovery. You're raising money for people with HIV and AIDS. You're raising money for the arts. You're raising money for, uh, for delivering hot meals to people who need food. Uh, you're, you're, a, you're the true good Samaritan. Well, thank you. I go where I'm needed, and it's inspiring. Yeah, you're, you're inspiring. What keeps you motivated in doing all this? daily because i mean there must be some point where you're like oh god i, I can't deal with another human being people are making me nuts uh, uh must have moments like that you too. know
2: staying uh staying in tune to results and there i do get worn down and it's exhausting there are times when every single meeting i go to it my work is very results oriented so virtually every meeting i go to not this meeting you guys don't really need anything from me no but uh, <laughs> most every meeting <laughs> i go to people are saying what are you bringing you know what are the results? so it's exhausting. Um, I get very, very, very excited when we can um, secure a new donation and when we can bring bring new notice to something of importance. I'm helping the Black AIDS Institute right now, mm. and we were helping we just helped them secure a major grant from Gucci, the first time grant, which is very exciting, and to realize you know. In the next five years, we could bring an end to HIV and AIDS as we know it. That's amazing. Some cities have seen a drop of 70% in infection rates. So, you know, working towards uh, toward the, uh, a, a goal and seeing that things are going to be done. The AIDS monument, for example, which you started and in, in which this incredible group of people have put in, we're going to see the beginning and the middle of this beautiful and the end of this installation of a beautiful art piece that millions of people will see. So that's exciting. Yeah having plans and, and looking forward and, and, you know, sometimes I'm already in November, right? What are we doing in November? So, the other advice I, I, I have is, you know, spend time with, with young people and mentor mm. and and help people and be kind to young people in our LGBTQ community. Oh, There's funny. so much strife still yes. and, and, and acceptance and shame and if we can be uh, a positive role model and being kind to the bus driver mm. Even Mm -hmm. being kind to the bus driver makes a huge difference.
0: So, you talk about role models. You have met numerous celebrities, politicians, presidents, is there one person or persons that you've met that you Mm -hmm. just were in total awe?
2: Uh, Well, Barack Obama, certainly. Mm had a a real aura about him, and I was so proud to work on that campaign and knock on doors all over the country. Mm -hmm. Michelle's doing (coughs) something right now, right? Michelle Obama is doing uh, VoteProud.org with us. We're partnering with Michelle Obama on VoteProud.org. If you can all log on to VoteProud.org, make sure you are registered to vote. 1.6 million LGBTQ people did not vote or register the last time around. If they did, we would have a different outcome. VoteProud.org is a nonpartisan organization focused on registering voters.
0: That's amazing. Changao, our time has come to an end. I I can hardly wait to have you come back, bring any of these causes by. Thank you. For some radio time, we would love to promote all the good work that you're doing and that they're doing. Gang, when we come back, we'll be talking to the publisher of Adelante Magazine, El Ballesteros. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q.
1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
4: Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business.
0: That's the Judds singing Guardian Angels because I've got another Guardian Angel on the show now, the incredible Al Ballesteros. Al, welcome to the show. Hey, John.
5: Yeah, it's good to have you here. Well, thanks for inviting me down.
0: We're calling this show Angels and Monsters. John Guile was on right before you, well, a longtime executive director of Project Angel Food. Now we've got you on because you're the CEO of a big healthcare organization, right? Yeah. What it, is
5: it? Well, it's JWCH Institute. We go by Wesley Health Centers as well, we're a federally qualified health center. Doing HIV, doing everything. We do HIV. We do homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, we operate uh, the largest homeless clinic in, I believe, California in wow. Skid Row. We wow, John, we serve about 10,600 down there at 5th and San Pedro. Oh my God, that is Skid Row, Skid Row. You're it's not talking about the generic Skid Row, you're talking about
0: actual Skid yeah, Row, downtown absolutely. Los Angeles. And you do indigent families, I think, all across the city
5: also. We know? do. So uh, anyone can come to Wesley Health Centers regardless of ability to pay, regardless of insurance status, regardless of any status. Hmm. You know, um, and we don't turn anybody away. Yeah, You you got a great story. I'm going to dig in a little bit. You were once just a young activist in your 20s, right? Yeah,
0: How was. did you first get involved with
5: community? Well, like you, John, I, um, you know, grew up in uh, Echo Park and, uh, you know, um, came from a generation that was pre-HIV. Um, and... Uh, came from the generation where you know we didn't have the affordable care act and things like that and um when the epidemic began to you know take uh, hold and and spread it was you know our generation my generation the generation immediately before that was sort of ground zero and so it was uh, from my experience becoming uh, uh infected with the virus and um Having to fight through that, that really uh, sort of brought out the activists in me to get engaged in community and get engaged in organizations to try to make a difference for not only myself, but for my friends and for the community and, you know, for the bigger cause.
0: Mm. And did you think at one point you were not
5: going to make it? Oh, absolutely. I think I think we all did back yeah. then in the mid-80s. Mm. But you did. But we did. And <laughs> yeah. here we are on the show with John Durant. <laughs> I know. 30 years later, we're still here and kicking. Right. Right. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, you were uh, a street activist. Were you out there with ACT UP or Queer Nation or any of that back then in the day? Yeah,
5: absolutely. I was out there. I was out there with uh, ACT UP and with other organizations that joined. I was uh, one of the groups that helped close the streets on Hollywood Boulevard and Highland at five o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon during rush hour. Mm. That made a lot of people angry. Oh, they, yeah, of course. They <laughs> were pissed off. And
0: but we were trying to get their attention that people were dying and that nobody was doing anything.
5: They weren't. And, you know, I think shutting down the freeways and shutting down the streets and all major directions at rush hour at Tuesday, I think we did it. Yeah. But, you know it's sad that that was the way we had to do it don't you think i I do
0: i tell people you know before hiv and aids we were all just lower middle class or middle class people without any particular political energy about anything at least me i I mean i sort of voted maybe i would vote maybe i wouldn't I, i didn't really care about politics all of a sudden everybody started dying and nobody was responding and then the moment i realized nobody's going to respond everything clicked and it was like okay no one's going to respond. Two choices: cower in the corner like a coward, or take it to the streets and scream and shout with whatever breaths I got left. Yeah, yeah. Not go quietly into the night. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of ironic though, because you started out in the streets, and now you are the man. You're the CEO. Do <laughs> you ever get protesters at your clinics about care or anything like that?
5: You know, we, we no not. not not really. We we do have individuals that are, um, you know, sort of always making suggestions about how the system can be better, not only at Wesley, but in general. And, you know, I think that's good. Mm. I actually think it's very good, you know, to hear from the community because when you stop hearing from the community, that's when you know that your services are either perfect and none of us and nothing's perfect. Right. Or you're irrelevant. Mm.
0: Good point, huh? You are the publisher and editor of Adelante Magazine, right? Yes. And targets LGBTQ, Latinx people? Yes. Why?
5: Well, because there wasn't such a publication 22 years ago. Uh, It was a large Latino community, gay and lesbian, trans community in LA, biggest population. Uh, But there was no publication that specifically spoke to their needs and was addressing the issues. So... Uh, it needed to be created and uh, you know i'm thankful that my partner and some lots of friends you many individuals in the community stepped up and helped us and we got that off the ground mm. it's been how many years 20 been almost 22 years wow that is amazing yeah that and is- when you think about it john you know i always tell and i'm very i'm very proud of this and proud of pepe my partner and all the writers and people that came to the table to help us do this because they didn't get paid mm. they did this on their own time mm. Thousands of hours. I'm very proud of the fact that I believe that Adelante magazine was the catalyst to getting information to the community about HIV and AIDS. There would the epidemic, I'm sure, would have would have been a lot bigger. Not to say it's not a big epidemic, and only, but it would have been a lot bigger in the Latino community had Adelante not been there providing education on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And is it done bilingually, Two languages? Oh yeah, it's yeah. still Spanish and English. Oh, really wonderful! Wow. Yeah, wow. and it's a fun thing to do. I mean, last night I was at Club Tempo. We did Mister Adelante Twenty Twenty. <laughs> tough job, Al. I you know a we bathing
0: have... suit competition and things like that.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ha- have to. You have to strain your eyes on uh, on looking at those you know individuals that come out you know oiled with a nice chest, right, and, right. you know, and beautiful.
0: Right, right. Well, that's kind of a fun a part job. of your job. Oh, tough tough, tough you know, job. It's,
5: it's horrible, John.
0: John, <laughs> uh, queen. Yeah, yeah queen (laughs) that's awesome i have to ask so um you were born in echo park i was born in lincoln heights so i was over the next hillside over and um racism in the lgbt community people don't want to talk about that but i bet it's been
5: part of your story oh yeah sure yeah you know that's a that's a big topic and you know back then it was yeah it was a very um sort of pervasive i mean it still is but um, I mean, there was East and there was West, right? Mm-hmm. And then there were pockets where, you know, you just didn't, you know, you just didn't go certain places. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that our experiences there are quite similar. Yeah. Coming up next, gang, we'll be back talking more about uh, Al Baesteros's
0: incredible life. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. school dropout for our next guest, Jason. Oh. <laughs> you can save that for our next guest. Too bad. You blew your wand. It's, uh, it's too late now. <laughs> I was
1: doing this for this guest. No.
0: I thought that's what you no, wanted. No, no, no. Oh my god, oh, That's alright, babe. We're still talking to Al Ballestatos here, publisher of Adelante Magazine and longtime uh, activist in the Latino community. Welcome back, Al. Yeah. It's good to have you here. Let's, uh, let's talk a bit about um, uh, Latino communities, because, I, you know, with both African American and Latino, there is a down-low component, and it's been harder to reach men who have sex with men, is what we've ended up calling it, because they don't identify as gay, necessarily. A little bit about your experience with that, and, of course, trying to get people on PrEP and why it's important.
5: Yeah, well, you know, so <clears throat> I think that it's very important that we reach communities that traditionally are not able to access services um, in some of the places that maybe, you know, I have or you have or or others and it's one of the hardest populations to get to are those that don't identify. And most of the time, um, you know, these Latino men uh, are living in places in the county where access by itself is hard to get to. The Organizations don't don't exist. Um, But if we do not figure out better ways to engage the population then we can't curtail the spread of HIV for men or for women. That, uh, that are uh, engaged with these men that have sex with men. Right, right.
0: And PrEP is, is basically a pill. You take a pill a day, right, to prevent the spread Absolutely. of HIV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell, and people have. I think you and I know about PrEP, and I think a lot of my listeners do, but explain PrEP to people.
5: Yeah, I will. You know, John, it's interesting because I, I work in the medical uh, field, and so I talk to a lot of individuals that are, uh, that are engaged there, and a lot of folks do not know what PrEP is. They do not know that there is a pill that individuals can take. And if they take it according to, you know, how it's prescribed uh, on a daily basis, it can prevent them from becoming infected with HIV if they come in contact with, you know, blood products or with the virus. And uh, it's been studied. It's being pushed by the CDC. And so, you know, think about it, you know. It's, there's a pill that individuals can take that can be almost entirely affected. In terms of preventing the spread of HIV.
0: Hmm. With Latino culture, why is it harder to reach? Is it is it the machismo in the culture? Is it issues of poverty that
5: people are having trouble getting access? Is it language?
0: I mean, is it all of the above and
5: something else? What well, what is it? Yeah, you know, I think it's all of the above. And I also think that, you know, in this day and age when, you know, there's so much pressure on communities to you know, to survive, to do uh, what they need to do to support families, uh, what they need to do to sort of, um, you know, sort of improve the communities that they live in. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of. I think if you look at the sentiments that's coming out of our federal level, and and things like that, it becomes even harder for individuals to sort of identify and come out with who they are. Mm. Hmm.
0: So there's also the pressure of immigration status. Absolutely. People who are undocumented, not wanting to seek access to any of this. Absolutely. I want to stay below the radar then. Yes. What about the trans community? Do you work much with the transgender community?
5: You know, we do, but there are organizations that do that a lot more than Wesley and JWCH does, but sure we do. Uh, we have... Uh, several uh, trans uh, community outreach workers that actually uh, go out and help the trans community access medical services and PrEP services and HIV care services, so that's a a huge uh, component of what we do as well. Hmm. What do you think, I mean, uh,
0: you work a lot with the homeless community, and I think every city in the country right now is experiencing homelessness to some degree, but nobody's got it as severe as Los Angeles. I mean, now they're estimating 70,000 people on the street every night. That's, that's like incomprehensible, un- incomprehensible to me. What what do you think should be done? You you ever start to think about this, dealing with this population daily?
5: Yeah, I do. Well, so, you know, it's, it's very multifaceted. I think we need more housing. Obviously, there's not enough low-cost housing. You know, there are 70,000 people on the street um, but there are probably triple that number that are sort of on the verge of getting on the street mm. because they're, you know, a, a paycheck away, if you will, or gentrification, many. or Gen- both. Absolutely, the the rent prices in L.A. are very high. Um, there is a, a mental health crisis of individuals that are living on the street. There is a substance abuse crisis, um, and You know, all that sort of comes together and, you know, it becomes very difficult to sort of address the issue because it's multifaceted. Like our teams, we assemble teams that are housing navigators. They do rapid rehousing. But they're also teams that have mental health specialists on them, physicians, as well as individuals that are, um, you know, that are substance abuse experts. And it takes a team like that to go out and help communities that are on the street because you're dealing with all those particular issues
0: yeah here in los angeles latino means many things it's not just mexico because i'm mexican-american i think you are too but when we speak of latino communities it's very diverse spanish-speaking communities yeah right from where all over the world or this part of the hemisphere this part of the hemisphere Mm. are there
5: challenges with
0: that in terms of uh, cultural sensitivity in different cultures or
5: well i sure there is you know, there's, um, you know, there's big differences between individuals that are from Mexico and from Central America, South America. I mean, there's some language differences, there's cultural differences. Approaches are different. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You remember my deputy, Hernan Molina. He's been on the show. Now, he's Argentinian. And he gets talked to all the time that his, his Spanish is bad because he doesn't sound like a true Mexican. And he's like, I'm not. I'm Argentinian. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah, <I pronounce> it. <laughs> Hernan is a true. I love him.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're almost ready to wrap up our time. Anything about your website? Anything you want to say before you?
5: Yeah, You know, um, you can. So, if you. You're in need of healthcare services and you don't have insurance. You don't have money. You can go to uh, Wesley Health Centers. Uh, you just go look us up in Google. If, um, if you know, you could come in and and and, and you don't have to worry about uh, any ability to pay or whether you have insurance or not. We're here to help you.
0: That's amazing. You are the angel. You and John Guyle, my angels of the day. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Al. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Coming up next, gang, when we come back, we'll be talking about the monsters over at Conversion Therapy by talking to two of the Conversion Therapy dropouts. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one,
0: Where's Science by Ongo Boingo. I picked that song for you, Curtis Galloway and Eric Rivera, because that's what conversion therapy seems to be to me, just weird, it's not even science, it's just weird in my book. So welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thank, okay. you. thank you, We're happy to be here. Curtis, you're a very young man, you're a millennial, um, you went into conversion therapy, what happened?
3: Yeah, so um, when I was 16 years old, um, back in 2010, um, I came out as gay to my family, and I had um, expressed interest in wanting to get a therapist to kind of um, work through my feelings and kind of really talk about my sexuality, because it's not something that I really had an opportunity to explore. Um, I come from a very small town in uh, southern Illinois, and so um, there weren't a lot of resources for me. And so um, I wanted to go talk to somebody and really kind of work through everything that I was feeling. I had some like anxiety, depression. Um, And so my parents took me to someone. Uh, We drove down to Kentucky. And, yeah that's a bad start yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not gonna end well <laughs> yeah okay. no definitely not I uh,
0: <laughs> with all due respect to people in Louisville and other parts of Kentucky
3: yeah we've got some good work going on there but um, uh, yeah so uh, I went down there and um, started seeing this man who uh, was a self-proclaimed Christian counselor um, now he was uh, licensed through the state of Kentucky um, but he soon started uh, what would you know what it was known as was conversion therapy, and um, a lot of what he did was just a full erasure of myself. His tactics were to basically break you down as a person and um, try to redefine your sexuality and your identity um, into what he thought um, was... Um, what What God wanted, essentially. Mm. Um, and so I started going, and it all started out pretty, pretty harmless, um, but soon it would move into more of um, you know, limiting time with friends, and you know, I should be uh, bouncing my eyes away from from people that I find attractive, and that I should uh, adopt a more masculine persona. Um, I think one of the things was actually, um, engage in more masculine characteristic activities that includes being competent as a man and being powerful in social situations, what the hell does that mean? I, I mean, still that, don't know what that means. Jason, what does that mean? I don't. I'm trying to figure that I, this out. Right is, now. This is the straight dude I have no in the room, I have
0: no idea no, what, that what that even is. means or how they would make somebody do that.
3: I have no <laughs> idea. Um, he. So I during that time I was like in an emo phase, <laughs> so I had the really tight jeans, but I also had like the. Um, uh, the wristbands with the studs on it and like the studded belt. And he pointed to those and told me that the Romans used to wear things like that. And that was a very masculine thing to wear. Okay. This is like, hey, you say, ever see any gladiator movies? This is like from the yeah. comedy
0: Airplane. It's just one person's notion of what masculine is. That's
3: yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, this um, is
0: just, it's torture. I mean, yes. I did, breaking down a human being yes. to try to create something new is torture.
3: Yes. And there was a lot of, um, uh... It- there's a lot of manipulation on his part with my parents. I would go in and I would talk to him for an hour, or my parents would go in before me and talk to him for an hour. It would just depend on the day. But during the time that he was talking to them, they would voice their concerns over um, the progress that I wasn't making, and the things that I wasn't doing that I was supposed to be doing, and then he would, in turn, tell them that he they need to push more, they need to um, really watch me, and And it really became a situation where they were just constantly um, surveilling me and, like, watching what I was doing constantly Um, and, like, showing up to school sometimes – and uh, they would see that I was still sitting with my friends that were quote gay affirming, um, meaning nice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, um,
0: I got to ask Eric because Eric, you didn't go certainly. through conversion therapy, but I, I'm not gonna. I was gonna ask you why did you get involved. I can see why because I'm sitting here getting angry just listening
7: to this. Oh, absolutely. You know, why, why did you get involved? Well, I mean, yeah. Once once I met Curtis and I learned his story, it just it did anger me. Um, I did grow up a very Christian conservative family. Uh, My parents taught Sunday high school, and then I also went through the Royal Rangers program, which is on Christian Boy Scouts through the Assemblies of God. And looking back, you know, it it was interesting. So they, of course, tried to influence me to, again, go more on the masculine side with the different programs, different sports and all Mm -hmm. that, which I did enjoy to a point. But uh, it just wasn't me at the end of the day. Um, but when I heard his story, it, it did anger me. I, I have a soft spot for, for youth and helping youth and mentoring youth, and that's just something that just no one should have to go through.
0: Well, it's, just, it's insane. It's just insane. Yeah. I mean, the highest definition of intolerance is demanding that somebody be just like me. I don't mm-hmm. want you to be you. I want you to be more like me, or what I think you should be. That, that's, that's Frankenstein, right? Yeah, I mean, I you must be in shock. I mean, I don't, I can't even imagine uh, what straight people think when they hear this stuff. I mean, well, just
1: in my opinion, like, don't people know that trying to change how somebody is isn't going to work out? Yeah, I just mean, like let the person be who they want to be. Well, the
0: whole you know? Spanish Inquisition of the Spaniards going around torturing Jews and people they didn't find to be Christian enough. They boil them in water, they drown them, or the witches of Salem. And we haven't learned a single thing from history. I know, it's like history repeating itself in modern day. Mm -hmm. All right, so conversion therapy dropout. By the way, the last guest got to hear Beauty School Dropout, because we were going to play that song for you. (laughs) 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 But we played it for the last guest by mistake. It's a cheeky, cute little play Mm. on words, right? I'm a conversion therapy dropout, you know? Thank God you are, by the way. Yeah. Where where, where did you come up with that name?
3: Well, the name actually, so, I guess two years ago or so, I had a friend that randomly messaged me on Facebook and was like, hey, take a look at this shirt. And it was a shirt that said conversion therapy dropout on it. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to have one of these. (laughs) Um, And so I bought it and I wore it to like all of my advocacy work because I've been doing this kind of work for a while now. And um, the name kind of just sprung from that Uh, I didn't want to use like conversion therapy survivor Um, I wanted to make it more non-clinical Right, right and right, right. Uh, make it more of a, a a fun name so it didn't seem so like heavy, um, and that's I mean that's where the, shir- the where the the the, uh, the name came from was a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Why not? Why yeah, not? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, the the company that makes those shirts they still make them, but now they produce our shirts, which has the same thing just in our colors and has our logo on the back. So, so
0: do you, have you had other people come join conversion therapy dropouts? Uh, people far and wide or t- how are you building a support group?
3: Yeah, so um, a lot of it is just word of mouth. Uh, a lot of people finding us on Facebook, that's that's where our largest base is, uh, finding us on Instagram and Twitter um, and people are reaching out and really uh, finding y- y- you're expressing that this is something that they, they want as survivors. They want a network of other people to understand what they went through and the trauma that they you know still deal with, the, the PTSD that they're still dealing with because of this. Mm.
0: Okay, coming up next when we come back, more weird science and creating Frankenstein here with Conversion Therapy. Thanks for tuning in on Channel Q. Now, my young millennials, do you know what song that is? Uh... Well, you know, because I told you what to play. <laughs> yeah, but I, you I never play. heard it before. Yeah. Okay, that's Frankenstein because oh. that's what this oh, segment yeah. of the show sounds like to me—like Dr. <laughs> Frankenstein trying to create a creature out of body parts. Unfortunately, a... the
1: creature doesn't get created in the end.
3: Yeah, yeah. Of this is of this experiment. So. <laughs> yeah, or he does, and he's still gay.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> we're talking to Curtis Galloway at Eric Rivera about conversion therapy dropout, and uh, right before the break, we were talking about the horrendous thing they they put you through. I. I mean, did they ever use the threat of hell? Uh, and brimstone. I mean, that's that's like the ultimate threat you can do to a kid. You're, you going, know, you're going to burn in hell if you don't do this or that.
3: It kind of, not explicit. They said that uh, homosexuality is a sin, um, but it's only considered a sin if you act on it. So, had I acted on it at the time, then yeah, they probably would have. But it was never it was never the fire and brimstone part of it that they were using.
0: So you were only an avowed homosexual, but you weren't a practicing homosexual.
3: Right.
0: <laughs> right. It. Okay. Yes. I used to have a t-shirt that said avowed and practicing homosexual that's why i wanted to bring up my t-shirt in exchange for your t-shirt it's all yeah about t-shirts <laughs> i really didn't know what that meant back then but i uh back in the 80s i had a nemesis who was a crazy reverend from the traditional values coalition and he used to call me an avowed and practicing homosexual and i'm like what does that mean you know oh and he also called me uh what was it I was something of sin, the, the, like a whole city of sin. Uh, I, I don't even remember what the word was that he used to use with me, but it was just bizarre. I mean, what
1: happened to that guy?
0: Yeah, what? What happened to that he's guy? He's still around, he's still around. They made a lot of money. Does about, he bother you anymore? No, he's okay. gotta be in his 90s if he's, he's oh, still, wow. yeah, he's old. He was up there, He's huh? up there, oh, okay. yeah. He was up there when I met him 30 years ago, yeah. You know, I was raised Catholic, so being raised Catholic, were you raised Catholic, Eric? Or uh, Christian. Christian. Okay. I dated somebody from Assembly of God. Okay, that's pretty out there. I mean, that's
7: it's it's, it's more of used, one of the stricter. Yeah, yeah. He
0: used to call it holy rollers and playing with snakes and talking in tongues and all that. right? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah that,
7: every, every every church service, someone was saying <laughs> something, speaking in tongues, and I had no idea what was going on. So. Right. Right. So
0: I mean, I and, and by the way, I've had clergy on the show. I've had you know out LGBT clergy come on the show, and you know, religion is very complicated. But uh, the Quran. From my Muslim producer yes. here, and the Bible, you know, there's very limited passages about homosexuality. Of course, it shows up in Leviticus in the the Jewish mores of what they thought was important to spread the population 3,500 years ago, right? But then the Jesus dude didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. About homosexuality. It's only Paul when he starts writing letters to the Corinthians and the Romans and everybody else a hundred years after Jesus died, where we start to get you know another set of mores from the Romans. But the Jesus dude didn't say anything about homosexuality. Right, right, right. Not a thing. I right. mean, do any of these conversion therapy groups stop for a moment to say, "What would Jesus do?" That is, they're often WWJD. No, they don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think nope. they do. I don't think they. Do. I tell you what he'd do. He'd hang out with lepers, prostitutes, and tax collectors because that's what we know. The people that were the most, you know, not popular of the day is the people he associated pretty freely with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to ask you, why? How um, did you decide to finally walk away? Because, I mean, here you are, you're what, 16, 17 years old, your mom and dad want you there, they all want you there, but at some point, you got up the courage as a young teen or young adult to say, I'm not doing this.
3: What happened? Um, Well, it was actually something that my parents had also, I mean, they basically decided, I mean, this man was charging us about $120 an hour, and we were there two hours every week to every two weeks, Um, so it was really a financial burden, and then my parents also saw that I... My mental health was declining, and it just wasn't working. Like, nothing that this counselor had wanted me to do and try and all the practices, it wasn't helping, and there was a rift uh, forming in between me and my family. Um, and so, you know, years later, they, they um, we talked about it, and they told me. They were like, well, it, it wasn't working. We were saying that, you know, you were pulling away from us, and, y- you know, we didn't want... We didn't want this to get in the way of our relationship with you. Um, oh, and this is good news. Yes, you have a good relationship with your parents yes. today. Yes, they they made a complete e- turnaround and one day just told me that they, you know, that they were very sorry for what happened and that they were wrong and that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where's uh, uh, give me an amen or something over there with a sound effect <laughs> from mom and dad? That is amazing. <laughs> come on, producer, you're sleeping. Oh, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> That is amazing. Mom and Dad said, I'm sorry, and they yeah. made amends to you. They might be listening right now. I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> they probably are. You probably set them up to do that. They that probably. is, because not every parent does that. And, you know, I I, I had a Wendy Montgomery, who was a, a Mormon mom, had to do the same thing with her Mormon church. that he, Her kid was not changing, and it wasn't working. And finally, she, the love for her son ended up overcoming all the elders of the Mormon church. And now, she has got the elders to finally move. I mean, she's been working on it for 20 years, but... You know, religion's moving. They, they have to move to meet us where we are. We're not changing,
3: right? Yeah, and, and actually, like, my my whole church back at home, they, they were very supportive, too. Once I started doing my advocacy work, it just, all of the support came out that no one was expecting. So it was kind of amazing.
0: What Eric, what's your story? Because Assembly of God, I mean, I'm sure that you heard a lot of anti-homosexual stuff, too, in your church. And
3: oh, Wait, I, now, I don't even know if you're
0: gay. Wait, I, I, should, no. not be, I should not be assuming. I assumed Jason was gay, and it got us off to a really weird start.
7: Uh, yeah, I'm coming out of straight. No. Uh, yeah, no, I am gay. <laughs> okay.
0: So. All right. Okay. Great. And and so what happened with you and in, in your church?
7: Yeah, I grew up uh, – so I really didn't really come out until closer to 17 in high school uh, when I actually even realized myself. I kind of realized later on in my, in my youth that I was attracted to men. Um, and so at that point, uh, of course, the typical – from the family and the church and everything else, so this is just a phase, you know, you'll get through this and this <laughs> and that. And then I decided to kind of go on a rebellious phase and said, screw all that, I'm going to be myself, and I uh, actually decided to move out of my home. I was just 18 my senior year, so I moved out with a gay couple, which kind of mentored me into the lifestyle, so to speak, and then just kind of started living my life as myself. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but it was pretty tough. That's I mean, the way it is. That's the way it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I uh, I tried, uh, I'm sure you've heard this, maybe done it yourself. I tried to pray the gay
7: away for a I, bit. I, did, I'm like, I did.
0: god you're all powerful take it away take it away take it away take it away and guess what i woke up the next day and it wasn't away
7: absolutely so i, I said the same prayer i said if this is not who you want me to be change me yeah yeah i'm still the same so.
0: pete Buttigieg had a similar prayer like yeah. if he could figure out a way to just cut it out of his body he would have he said at one point now he doesn't absolutely. obviously and it just yeah, i mean the amount of torture and we see it all the time young lgbt people who when they reach that point instead of doing what the two of you did they kill themselves, mm-hmm. they, they, they cannot exist any longer given those parameters, so they kill themselves. So in essence, you guys are a suicide prevention organization.
3: Yeah, in a way, in a way, yeah. Definitely in a way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Definitely in a way, because you give people hope. Have you been able to reconcile your Christian Christian beliefs and your Christianity with your sexual orientation?
3: Yeah, um, so, I mean, I realize that, that this is not something that is inherent in the Christian faith. Um, and I, I always knew that and, you know, know that it, it it's, um, it's supposed to be about love, right, and loving people. And so I've really been able to reconcile that um, Against you know this using the Christianity as a weapon is essentially what's happening, and you know just realizing that it shouldn't be used like a weapon, and that that's not its intent, um, and that it being used like that does not make the religion inherently wrong or bad. Right. And so um, you know coming to that was. A little bit difficult for me, um, but I, I think, you know, through the years and, you know, meeting people that are openly gay or openly LGBTQ and in the Christian faith, just talking with them has, has helped as well. Hmm.
0: What about you, Eric? Have you reconciled your Assembly of God upbringing with your sexuality?
3: I have. How'd the you difficult. do it? Uh, it's just yeah, through
7: faith and prayer and it's, you know, it's still, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a good set of values to live by and so I, I try to, keep those values, but uh, at, you know I'm still who I am, and God created us, and so that's what I'm going with. <laughs> so I have
0: just enough religious training to be dangerous to myself and others, so I'm gonna tell you
7: that right sure. now. But
0: I will tell you, what the Jesus guy did do, the one group of people he had the harshest words for while he was around were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the time. He called them vipers hypocrites i mean the only time he expressed outrage was at the religious leaders because of what they were doing to the people you know and they even tried to trick him. what's the greatest commandment simple love god and love one another there yep. there you go mm-hmm. that's Absolutely. all it is kind of cuts through everything about mm-hmm. the weird science and the frankenstein creations so what's coming up next for a conversion therapy dropout what what are you guys hoping to do
3: yeah, so um, we are hoping to um, start building our network even more. Um, we're wanting to get more survivors involved. Uh, we have something called Survivor Sunday, um, and we're planning one for around February 23rd, um, and the final details will be coming out about that soon. Um, it's basically a roundtable for conversion therapy survivors to come meet other survivors and talk about their experiences or just sit and listen to others talk about their experiences as well. Um, we find that it's, it's very therapeutic for us. Uh, survivors to talk to other people to understand the level of trauma that they felt and um kind of the unique nuances around that Hmm. and the ptsd that we experience because of it
7: yeah i would say definitely
3: anything you want to add to that eric
7: yeah just uh, join us and keep uh follow our social media and for our events and uh we'll keep you all updated
0: All right, that's really, really cool. Jared Hill's going to join, because I don't know if he was raised in a church, but he's joining us soon. He wants to join this conversation. So can you guys stick around over a little longer for another uh, six or eight-minute segment? Talk to Jared. Are you ready to go? Coming up next, (laughs) C-U-N, coming up next, Tigers, (laughs) we'll be talking a little bit more about conversion therapy here on Channel Q. Conversion Therapy Dropout. I'm singing to you, gang. We're still here with Curtis Galloway and Eric Rivera singing Conversion Therapy Dropout for their listening pleasure. Thanks, Jason, for finding that for of us. Of course. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I, I mean, with some joking aside, um, you suffered uh, PTSD as a result of this.
3: Yes. Um, yeah, it's something that I was recently diagnosed with. Um, going to therapy now, um, um, there's there's been a lot of things that like I just thought were um, things about myself that I've since been told no you're suffering from PTSD and you're defensive because of your experiences hmm. Hmm. so it was kind of shocking to me uh, you know me thinking you know having you know, started an organization and doing this advocacy work you know I never thought like oh maybe this is because of what I had experienced and it's just unreconciled trauma
0: yeah. Yeah, that that's what it is. I mean, we, the, we, your older generation, by the way, like me, we have PTSD too, but from the epidemic. The AIDS right. epidemic produced, for those of us that walk through it, another form of PTSD. So what we do to LGBT people in this country, it's amazing. You know, to some degree, though, that's probably why we shine so brilliantly. Like a diamond is only created because it is under incredible volcanic pressure under the earth, which creates something beautiful out of that incredible pressure mm-hmm. that happens. Happens, and I, I think that's why we uh, were so brilliant, and we fight so uh, incredibly. <laughs> when you walk through something yeah. like what you walk through, you walk. I through. agree. Or my little Muslim friend over here, uh, what you walk through? Although you're not really, you haven't really felt discrimination because of being Muslim, have you? No. Uh,
1: well, I mean. W- when 9-11 happened like fourth oh, grade yeah. that was the time when it was like okay you gotta kind of stay quiet about who you are and what you are and you whatever. couldn't come out
0: as Muslim yeah
1: as a as a young child I mean there were people that were just yeah ruthless back then yeah. so you couldn't really do well,
0: it and I remember people were like going after Sikhs Because they had a hairdress on and not realizing that's not even Muslim. Right. It's not even Muslim. It's another religion, completely different. I mean, ignorance has many faces. And and then
1: I knew some um, Indian friends in high school, and because they had turbans, they would get. Targeted too. And it's just like, you don't even know what religion they you are. You
0: don't even. It's ignorance. It even, yeah. It's just, it's ignorance at the end of the day. It's ignorance. And my God, how many times has religion. You know, and I got to say this too, because I, I don't think religion's bad or evil. And I think actually religion has a very good and helpful purpose, but it's a double edged sword. It can cut two ways. Cut, like most things that are, there's nothing that's ever absolutely. It's
1: the human perspective of religion that. Twists it in a certain way that yeah. may not be favorable to others.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah which is why, okay, now <clears throat> I'm getting my soapbox here. Which is why the founding fathers <laughs> were very specific about separation—a wall between church and state—to protect mm-hmm. both. Protect the state from religion being overbearing with any one particular religion requiring adhesion, but it's also to protect religion from the dirt of politics. I mean, they both. When you mix them together, they both get all wrapped up oh my god Jared Hill is walking in you're just in time Jared Hill ladies and gentlemen Jared Hill oh no
6: not
0: Jared Hill Jared Hill how's it going Jared Curtis Galloway on my right Eric Rivera on my left hey there both uh, they are conversion therapy dropouts
6: Oh, nice. <laughs> they dropped I, They dropped out. I was worried about what that last word was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Conversion therapy, dropouts. Okay, they nice. didn't quite make it. Okay,
0: point. Were you raised religious? Anymore? I was
6: raised super religious, yeah. Um, I always say that one of the challenges of coming out for me um, and having my parents and family tell me that I need to pray and be delivered was that I also believed that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that can be really, really difficult for a young Christian person because you've probably heard most of your life in my case all of my life that you know god hates gays and it's an awful thing to be gay and you need to pray and be delivered and changed um and i had i came out when i was 19 and i had spent most of my teenage years praying and asking god to change this and take it away and um and that had not happened so Mm. uh it was difficult for me because i wanted it to be changed and eventually i after coming out i said a prayer that was you know I don't think this is something that I can change and if it's something that you want changed I trust that you will change it but I'm freeing myself of uh the the daily worry and concern about like what you want me to be um that is not who I am so
5: mm. yeah
0: Was this in the Black Church Southern Baptist? Or?
6: Yeah, I mean I'm from the Bay Area but I'm my I come from a, a deeply Christian um Black Church family um and that was a a major part of the challenge for me mm. um with coming out.
0: Wow. Yeah. Curtis, Eric, thank you guys for coming on the show. I hope that you'll come again, because I do want to hear a follow-up on how your work is Absolutely, going. Absolutely, yes. Thank yeah, you for yeah. having us. Yeah, it would be awesome. And tell
3: us again, your website is what? It is conversiontherapydropout.org. All right. I love
0: that. I love it, too. So if you want to <laughs> drop out of conversion therapy, visit the website. You, too, can be a conversion therapy dropout. <laughs> I love that. Gang, when we come back, Jared and I will be like talking about the crazy week we've all been through. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang. I am still here with Jared Hill, and we're going to talk about uh, this day because it's a historic day. It looks like uh, the U.S. Senate is in on its path to acquit.
6: Well, uh, it's a knucklehead. It's a looming question. Um, I was tweeting this morning that it's kind of crazy. I even talking with people that I know that work in the Senate none of us really know what's going to happen today. So <laughs> right now, the the both sides are, are doing their final like debate. Um, each of them have two hours. I believe the Democrats are wrapping up their two hours right now. Um, and the President's counsel will then get up and uh, kind of speak to their side, and then seemingly there will be a vote on witnesses. Um, we don't know what's going to happen today because Lisa Murkowski came out and said that she's going to vote no on witnesses, which makes it seem like there's a 50-50 vote, which could then make it go to Chief Justice John Roberts, who's presiding over this case from the Supreme Court Um, and he might have to be the swing vote. God, he would
0: never want to do that. Which he does not want to do that. He,
6: He likes to stay above politics. However, John Roberts has surprised us on occasion with some of these uh, Supreme Court decisions. So you, you don't know what's going to happen there. Um, there's also talk that Mitch McConnell might uh, put the, the trial into recess until Wednesday of next week, bringing it out. Um, that came out from, the, I believe, the Washington Post earlier this morning. Um, uh, the Democratic senators don't know why that would possibly happen, but there is reporting that says that that is something that could happen today. Another thing that happened today, John Bolton, another excerpt from his book came out from the New York Times well, within the last hour and a half. What We've
0: been in Australia. No. What, yeah, what is, what's saying the
6: that that Donald Trump uh, called for him to uh, to make a phone call to the Ukrainian president to pressure him about this this what John Bolton later called a drug deal as early as May of this year, which extends the timeline out you know months before the phone call, um, and that uh, Cipollone, who is one of the president's counsels, who's actually t- uh, presenting in the Senate right now, was there in the room when this happened oh my uh, at God. the at the risk of the Hamilton pun, um, and so. So it's it it kind of blew this open again this morning to say like you don't know what we don't know, right? And that there are so many elements of this story that are continually developing. Every single day of this trial, there has been a new piece that came out that was unexpected, that we didn't know was going to come before, whether it came from a John Bolton excerpt, whether it came from Lev Parnas having something to say about someone else that he spoke with, most recently Lindsey Graham. Um, There's always been some kind of uh, unknown about this. I said on our show all the time, Rachel Maddow references impeachment as a wild animal. You don't know what it's going to do. And so if we are to wait until Wednesday, who knows what else could come out yeah. by then? Um, and it, that is; those are the, the major questions that loom right now. Will there be witnesses? Will we be getting um, any more testimony from from anyone else? Who's going to vote yes and who's going to vote no? And then ultimately, who's going to vote to acquit?
0: Well, you know, Lamar Alexander, Republican from uh, Tennessee. Tennessee yeah? mm-hmm. I believe so. At least he came out with the honesty to say what the president did was wrong. Mm-hmm. The Democrats have proved their case. Yeah. I just don't think it's an impeachable offense. At least I can respect that. He's like, at least you acknowledge that uh, they proved it.
6: I can halfway respect that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen so much evidence. I mean, I, I think it's always important to remember, like, the smoking gun in this case came out at the very beginning, right? Like, normally the smoking gun comes out eventually. He admitted eventually. it. He, right, admitted, exactly. it. Did he it. Perfect, admitted that he did this. Call. They, they released this memo that they always reference as a transcript, but the document on it says this is not a, tra- a direct transcript, right? <laughs> this um, is not
0: quid pro quo. <laughs> exactly.
6: And then they have shirts that say, like, read the transcript. The transcript says this is not a transcript. Um, but he says, like, I, I did this. This is what I did. They showed you the phone call, and I'd have trying to do it, too. And it's like, that is kind of what is mind blowing about this sometimes, yeah. but then it's not because we've seen Republicans do this kind of thing. Again they should
0: again. just tell the truth.
6: Yeah, what he did is wrong,
0: and we don't care. That's say the truth. that. Like that exactly, is the truth. We, we just don't care. don't care. And I,
6: I think it's really, really important to to look at this from a couple of different vantage points. Number one, we have we are being asked to believe that every single person who has testified in this situation is telling a lie. And that Donald Trump is the only stand-up, honest guy in this whole situation. Which we all know. And that has literally never been the case about never. anyone that's ever Over talked about 16, Donald Trump.
0: 16,000 lies and, in three years. And
6: I will remind you, Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, were the people in 2016 talking about Donald Trump is a con man, yep. he's a liar, yep. he's a racist, yep. he's a this, he's a that. And you're asking us to believe that Donald Trump is the honest person in this, in this situation. most
0: bizarre period of American history.
6: It, bizarre, it is. Just bizarre, surreal. However, it's not. At the same time, a rich, powerful white man getting a trial that is really skewed in his favor. When have we ever seen that happen in America? <laughs> what? Never. I, I, I can. I'm trying to think. I'm sure it's happened once or a million times before. So, I mean, it's it's frustrating and uh, and and angering to watch this happen no. in real time. But it's also like. This is how America was built.
0: Yeah. This is how America was structured. This is how America has sustained
6: itself. So
0: you and you and I are going to vote for Kamala Harris March 3rd. She's out. Have you decided who I, you're voting for yet? I I,
6: I don't I know. I haven't yet. I'm torn. Well, I torn. I was never like 100% sold on Kamala Harris. I've always liked her. Right. I I if it, if I had to vote today, I don't know. I think it might be Elizabeth Warren. Mm. Um I have a hard time with Bernie Sanders. I can't get excited about Joe Biden. I've never been that moved by Pete Buttigieg, even yeah. though he gives a great interview. Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine him beating Donald Trump, although I do love the juxtaposition of Pete Buttigieg, like this you know, white bread, middle America Christian boy who feels right. like going up against evangelical supported Donald Trump. I, <laughs> yeah. I am fascinated by that. It is really screwed up. Yeah, yeah. I mean
0: if I had to vote for today, I'd vote for Buttigieg, Just okay. because I'd want him to do well. Okay. But um I really want to win. I really want to beat Donald Trump in November so that this stain on history ends up with a happy ending. I'm not sure it ain't happening in the next few weeks.
6: Joe Biden is all you know, the great white hope and like I'm not convinced that Joe Biden, you know, pulls it out in, in uh in November. And I mean if it's going to be Bernie Sanders, I will vote for him, you know, in the general happily. If it's going to be Pete Buttigieg, I will happily vote for him. I-, I would vote for a can of paint over Donald Trump. <laughs> I feel so, the same way. Yeah.
0: I'm looking at Michael Bloomberg. I got to tell you, I'm looking at him very carefully.
6: I'm not mad at Michael Bloomberg yeah. or Tom Steyer either. So yeah. we'll see. All right, on come, drop the subjects up next with Jared Hill. Yes. And Allie, today's my out. last day. This I'll is drop the, the subjects. But However, he's not going away. I'm not going away. We have uh, we have election night in election night in late night uh, Monday night at nine o'clock right here on Channel.
0: Gang, we'll see you next Friday on (laughs) Channel Q.